Hi, this is Fat Mike from NoFX. Hi, I'm actress Ann Mahoney. Hey, friends, this is Hugh Billy Jim. Hi, this is Kyle Dunbar from Ink Master, season three and four. Hey, this is Shoutout Joe Frog. Hey, everyone, this is Jessica Kiernan. Hey, it's Ryan. I'm Molly, and we're from Mother Mother. Hey, it's Shelby Chong, and I'm a Canadian from Vancouver. Yo, yo, what's up? This is me, DMC, and a place to be right here listening to the Toddcat Podcast. Every once in a while, you'll stumble across just a gem, a beauty of a human being. And recently, that was NHRA drag racer Del Warsham for me. Here's this monster of the sport. He's a top fuel and funny car champion. Only a few people can say that. And Del's just the nicest guy. We follow each other on social media. And when I reached out to him to see if he'd want to be a guest of the podcast, he was super accommodating. And we had such a good chat, which you'll hear 10 minutes of in about 20 minutes from now. Joining Dell this week is Canadian host, model, and podcaster Mandy Ross. She's a longtime friend of the podcast, and I think you're going to love her positive energy. You'll hear from this week's musical guest, the bassist of one of the big four bands, in literally seconds from now. Also coming up in Listen to This... Godsmack singer Sully Erna talking about creating the Scars Foundation and the good that they're doing with that. It's powered by Tedco RV Supplies in Langley RV Service and Repair, ICBC accredited. Find them online at tedcorvsuppliesinc.com. First, let's get to our first guest of three, this week's musical guest, Megadeth bassist David Ellefson, brought to you by Pineapple Sound, recording and mixing in Langley since 2013. They do a lot of other stuff as well, podcasting, voiceovers, you name it. Check them out through pineapplesound.com. Of course, you're going to know Megadeth, unless you've been under a rock since 1983, Dave Mustaine and David Ellefson formed the band in Los Angeles. As mentioned, they're one of the big four bands alongside Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer. To suggest they're a big band would be an understatement. 32 million albums sold, platinum certifications on six of their 15 studio records, 12 Grammy nominations. They won a Grammy Award for Best Metal Performance in 2017 for their song Dystopia. It's great to have one of today's biggest rock bassists on the podcast. Tell your friends who love Megadeth that David is a guest this week. You can hear the full conversation right now at our iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud pages. Search it out through Toddcast Podcast. In the meantime, here's 10 minutes with Megadeth bassist David Ellefson. The Toddcast Podcast. I definitely want to get like into why you picked the covers, how a little bit more into like how uh, you know, you grab some of these guest appearances because, dude, it is like just chocked full. It is literally amazing. <laughs> but I, I kind of want to, I want to dig into your psyche a little bit, though, Dave, and and find out, you know, how you got to where you are today, and like, what is the music in the Ellison house as a kid growing up? What are you being exposed to that leads you down this path? Well, my dad did, did not have a musical ear at all. Um, he was the business guy. He thought very linear like that. My mother had the musical gift, you know, saw Elvis a couple times when she was just a young girl. Uh, I remember there was a Mary Wells record and she was uh, sang with Diana Ross, of course, and the Supremes. Um, uh, there was a Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, uh, in a little 45. That was my first stuff I got exposed to. You know, I'd get in the car with my dad and like pickup truck because we grew up on a farm. I'd turn the radio up and he would turn it down so we could talk, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and it was Neil Diamond. It was all that kind of stuff. 
And then it was funny, when I was about 10 years old, um, we had a, um, a, a bus driver. My brother and I would get picked up like second or third on the bus routes. We'd be on the bus for like an hour in the morning. And we had a bus driver who um, uh, picked up, he was the pastor, the, the son of our pastor at our Lutheran church. And he had long hair and he was just a cool guy. I remember his name was Dwight. And he listened to, uh, he was a rocker, so he listened to WLS AM out of Chicago. And I live about eight hour drive from Chicago, so AM waves, of course, because they're longer, will reach over to my little checks in Minnesota. So yeah. on that, you know, it was, it was sticks. I mean, everything from like Lorelei, um, Lady, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, Sweet, Ballroom Blitz, Fox on the Run had just come out. And of course, ELO, um, you know, and, and that was in Bachman Turner Overdrive. Kiss Shout It Out Loud was, was a big hit on the radio. That was the stuff that like, I, I heard that and went, wow. And at the same time, there was stuff like ABBA. Um, Who takes you down the heavy path? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, obviously hearing Kiss and seeing that, you know, that, that drew me and probably most of my, you know, my now famous rock and roll buddies. Like everybody. Yeah, I mean, everybody from Todd Kearns to the Anthrax guys, totally. to Mike Portnoy, all of us, you know, we all seemed to, that, that spoke to us. That drew us in. There was something dark. There was obviously a fantasy involved with the whole kiss thing with the creatures and their whole mystique. And, and that, you know, that obviously, that was a big thing for us. You know, that really drew us in um, to this, to this fantasy world of rock and roll. And I think we all lost ourselves into that. And that, that is why we are here, quite honestly. Um, and it's funny that, you know, then I would move to LA um, upon my graduation meet. Dave, Mustaine, we start Megadeth. And Megadeth is the opposite of Kiss. It's stripped down, jeans, T-shirts. It's more like the Ramones or something, you know, where it's very just, you know, kind of high energy, um, jeans, T-shirts, leather jackets, you know, it's the opposite of Kiss. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because I meet a lot of people who say they're inspired by Megadeth and they don't sound anything like Megadeth. They, some of them are even pop musicians, you know, Post Malone, <laughs> guys like this, you know. And so I, I like you know, that when people are inspired by my music, our music, and they find their own voice and their own path to do their own thing. Has Dave uh, Mustaine changed much in the way that he approaches music uh, since you met him? Not at all. Not one bit. Yeah. He, he's pretty much the same. And, and I admire his, his tenacity and stability in that area. You know, Dave, uh, you know, this is a very different band because when Dave and I met, we would sit around and talk about, we would, the, the idea was conceptualized before we even played a note together. I mean, Dave was writing uh, a song called Megadeth, which was then retitled Set the World, of, uh, Set the World on Fire. Um, and it didn't even come out until our third album, So Far So Good So What. Um, that was the very first song that Dave had written um, post Metallica. And I met Dave, I mean, literally like six weeks after he was out of Metallica. So um it was it was a pretty fresh wound um dave was really very kind of introspective on his life and kind of looking at things of what had happened and i think he was kind of considering his his options he kept saying he goes you know if this thing doesn't work out i'm just going to go into computers you know and i'd be driving i was the only guy that had a car so i'd drive everybody around you know and, and dave would ride shotgun and he'd always turn the radio on in la it was klos and kmet and back in that day, you know, radio was so cool, FM radio, because, I mean, they played everything from 
Yes and Deep Purple to Ronnie Dio and Iron Maiden Power Slave and you know, and and then they'd have these metal shows, you know, that would have the, the right. newest stuff that was going on. You know, I remember I remember when Queen of the Reich from Queensryche was on like the midnight metal show because you know they were the, one of the new bands, and then eventually Megadeth they they put one of our demos on there and stuff. So such a creative, just an awesome time to land in LA in 1983. You know, so I don't know, the good Lord, you know, met had me and Dave meet for you know for whatever his purpose is. You know, so. and what was that meeting? How did that meeting take place? Like, how did you how did you meet him? Well, first, me and my buddies were just looking for some place to buy some beer and cigarettes. That's why we knocked on his door, because he lived right up above us. And we saw him walking around in the apartment building. He looks like a cool guy, you know? Like, And we were underage, so we couldn't even buy beer in California, because we were only 18, and, and the drinking age was 21. 21, yeah. And um, so we needed a, an accomplice, you know? But, you know, Dave was cool, you know? And it was kind of that, you know, we buy, he'll fly kind of thing. So we just walked down to the corner liquor store. I still go in that liquor store from time to time. Oh, yeah. uh, just to kind of relive this moment, you know what I mean? Because we went in, bought a case of Heineken. I remember Dave had it over his shoulder and he was walking back. I didn't, I didn't even know if he had shoes on. Maybe he did. I guess probably had to have shoes on to get in the store. But, you know, he was just like the, the quintessential kind of California surfer, rock and roll guy. They didn't, they didn't make people like that where I grew up in Minnesota. <laughs> that was not. Right. I mean, Dave was just the epitome of this polar opposite of everything that I had grown up with. And yet, you know, there I was, and he was talking about this band Metallica that he was in, but we had not heard of yet because uh, Kill 'Em All hadn't come out yet. Um, and Dave is a, is a great storyteller and these, these stories he would tell and, and, you know, he's very captivating. And, and I soon realized walking on Hollywood Boulevard, there was a lot of Vince Neil lookalikes, a bunch of David Lee Roth lookalikes. Obviously, Van Halen was very popular. Motley Crue was just starting to really take off. The US Festival had just happened um, a couple months earlier. And um, Randy Rhodes had sadly just passed. So Ozzy Osbourne was getting most of his musicians out of LA. So there was always like, we got to get to LA. That's where it's going on, you know? Um, and, you know, so that just to be there and, and then, you know, to meet Dave and, you know, I could tell Dave, I was like, okay, Dave is destined to be a star. I mean, this is, this is a guy who's, you know, that is his purpose on the planet. And, um, and he seemed very uh, focused on how to get there. He's like, he had the map, he knew the way to get up the mountain and, um, you know, and as, as he was the general, he needed a, you know, he needed a lieutenant and that became me, you know, and that's, that's been really been our relationship ever since from day one. That's a really good way of putting it. I'm curious, what was your first concert? My very first concert was Kiss on the Rock and Roll Over Tour, uh, February 6th, 1977 at the Met Center in Bloomington. <laughs> remembers the date. <laughs> well, and what's funny about it is, is I just saw, you know, I've seen Kiss a bunch. And of course, we've, you know, performed with them and, and you know, done shows with them as well. But um, yeah, I went to go see the end of the, end of the road tour when they came through Phoenix um, last year, early last year, I guess. And I bought a T-shirt and it had the Kiss Destroyer it looked like the T-shirt I bought at that show in 1977. I didn't know bootleggers, but I bought a shirt outside from a bootlegger, and it was a crappy shirt. You know, you wash it once, and it falls apart. Yeah. And, you know, I was that kid. I didn't know, you know. And so I bought this shirt. And so at, when I, at the end of the road tour, there's a shirt that kind of looked like that. It was, the, it was the Destroyer cover, and on the back it had a bunch of tour dates. And I got home, and I'm looking at the tour dates, and I'm going, how come they don't have Glenn 
Arizona on the dates. And I, and I realized that these are the tour dates from the Destroyer into the Rock and Roll Over Tour because they were kind of seamless. I think it was kind of a seamless transition. They didn't change their costumes. Um, and I remember Eddie Trunk and I were, you know, beefing over like, was, was it, was that Destroyer? Was that Rock and Roll Over? Was that Love Gun? Because those three kind of ran together. And, and it's, I love when you get with other Kiss nerds because, you know, and I, we got people to do the same with Megadeth now, you know, they, they nerd out over what show, what song list. And so I get it. I, I am part of one of those bands now. And, and so, um, you know, again, kind of back to no cover, it's just this whole circle, you know, we're fanboying out and paying honor to, you know, the, the idols and the heroes that got guitars in our hands and gave us a, a path forward. And then I, of course, meet Dave and, you know, we find our own path forward and, and we've now inspired a bunch of groups, you know, that, that, that have come behind us. So it's, you know, it's nice to just be part of this, this sort of cycle of life. Musical guests of the Toddcast podcast are powered by Pineapple Sound, providing recording and mixing services for a wide range of artists and genres since 2013. Check them out at pineapplesound.com. Makes you victim, makes you host They don't even know your name And time is of the essence they say Never gonna be the same When you get back to the start, swipe right again Cause I never wanted to hold you More than I do right now Cause you're digging your own grave And you can't get out It's your easy love It doesn't matter no What you gonna do for now? Cause you're digging 
now. Listen to this on the Toddcast Podcast. When you hit your stride, the impact that you make is undeniable. Let's talk Godsmack for a sec. They've had an incredible career. Any band would be enviable. They've had three consecutive number one albums on the Billboard 200, 23 top 10 hits, 17 in the top five. They've sold over 20 million albums worldwide. It's Godsmack Day in Boston on August 6th. Fair to say they hit their stride years ago. And when singer Sully Erna was a guest, we talked about binge-watching The Sopranos in Entourage. He shared the story of meeting Rush's Neil Peart. We got into superpowers, specifically his love of Deadpool and the movie Hancock. We talked about the documentary he's working on and being influenced by Aerosmith, Boston, and Zeppelin early on. And Sully talked about starting up the Scars Foundation to help raise awareness of mental health issues. Listen to this. You know, I had wrote this song on the new record. It's the first time Godsmack ever attempted to put a song like this on a record. It's a straight-up epic ballad, like a Dream On slash November Rain-style ballad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the inspiration behind it was just through an experience I had with someone who, you know, had a lot of baggage and scars and things that they were embarrassed about or made them feel insecure. And when things came up, they would be the kind of person that would push away rather than want to communicate and you know talk through it and just accept it as part of their flaws and things like that and we all have them you know we all have these things we call scars whether they're emotional or physical um and then from there you know i was just thinking this could be a really great cause and i've always wanted to do something with a nonprofit. and so i developed um uh, an organization called the scars foundation which we just announced a couple days ago and it's a nonprofit that's going to help raise money on a global level. Uh, we've partnered with multiple companies to help battle everything from depression to addiction, bullying, PTSD, suicide prevention. Um, you know, because I'm not sure how everyone feels about this, but for me, I was getting really sick and tired of losing a lot of important people in my life and, you know, hearing about these amazing artists that are just self-destructing everywhere through depression, whether they drink themselves to death or overdose or take their own lives. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Chris Cornell, Chester Bennington back-to-back, that I think had a pretty big effect on everyone in the music industry. And, um, you know, I just thought it was time to maybe do something a little bit more on my part or something I can do. So we're hoping that, you know, the Scars Foundation will not only raise money globally to help these experts do their jobs better, Um, but also to be a voice, you know, and help strengthen people to help them understand that, you know, we all have these kind of imperfections and things that we feel insecure about or make us feel unworthy, but rather than stuff them down, you know, and, uh, and, and suffer in silence and keep them internal, you know, I want people to kind of represent their scars, you know, and show their scars proudly and, and tell their stories. So it'll inspire other people to tell their stories and, I think that's how we're going to start making a difference is to get people to be vocal about it. Because unfortunately, you know, amputees and people that have physical scars, it's easy to identify them and be able to reach out and help or offer help or have them go for help. But the depression thing is a tough one because it's a silent killer and you don't see it coming until it's too late. And so the only way to really get help with people and to try to pull them out of this darkness is to get them to be vocal about it and once we know that this is something they struggle with then you know we can do even more so this really needs to be you know a worldwide effort it needs to be a group effort for everybody you know to just 
take it upon themselves to be able to come forward and know that we understand and we care and and we all have this like we all me my drummer my bass player like everybody that may people may look up to and i'm sure millions others that you know are in a celebrity status and people may think are untouchable or i live this great life we all struggle with these imperfections but um you know we just want to help people empower them and, and get them stronger so they can come up forward with it and you know and, and deal with it and then help others deal with it listen to this on the Toddcast podcast is brought to you by tedco rv supplies in langley an icbc approved repair shop Find them online at tedcorvsuppliesinc.com.
Yeah, really been digging that song lately. That's new music for Marty Zilstra, and the song is called Muse, a first spin here on the podcast. Marty does great work if you're not super familiar with him. He's signed to Jump Attack Records. If you dug what you just heard, check out a band called Sweetheart. Marty, back in the day, fronted those guys as well. Played you a band called Best Night Ever. Their song was called Easy to Love, a podcast favorite. Get lots of people talking with me about them at podcast shows, or I guess I used to get a lot of people talking about them. COVID still with its icy, cold death grip on the world, certainly in North America. The U.S. is just brutal, not that Canada is much better. We're still doing it wrong. Big gatherings, the bullshit anti-maskers, the people who leave laughing face emojis on posts about people losing loved ones to the pandemic. They write, please wear a mask. I wouldn't want this to happen to anyone, not even my enemy. Who the hell thinks a laughing emoji is what's needed here? But you still see it. Narcissistic, weak-minded, selfish pricks. Trolls. That's who thinks a laughing emoji is what's needed. Speaking of, Todd's Trolls is coming up in just a bit. The stupid, the mean, the hurtful, but you know, the funny things that people say to what you post and what you see online. This week, Smashing Pumpkins, the new movie Iron Mask, and the Asian Beach Games have massive targets on their backs. As always, powered by our good buddies at The Garage, Games and Geekery in Maple Ridge, it's your place to play. Warhammer, D&D, Slay Trolls, and a lot more. Find them online at garagegames.ca. First, the second of three Toddcast guests this week is our sporting guest, NHRA drag race champion, top fuel, and funny car champion, Del Warsham. Now, Del's been a pro NHRA drag racer since 1990 and he's been impressive right out of the gate he became the youngest driver to win a funny car event just 21 years old back in 1991 and won the nhra rookie of the year he has 33 career victories eight in top fuel 25 in funny car he's only the third driver to win championships in both top fuel and funny car the third person to ever do that. Like I said, the kid is a monster in the sport. The full conversation, definitely worth hearing. Search that out through Toddcast Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. Till you hear that, here's 10 minutes with NHRA drag racer, top fuel, and funny car champion, Del Warsham. The Toddcast Podcast. What's your first memory, not necessarily of you racing, but like what's your first memory of drag racing? Oh, brother. Um, okay, so I grew up in Southern California, and um, my dad, my, my, my mother and dad split at a pretty young age. I was probably about four or five years old, and my dad had a condominium over in Laguna Hills, with, which wasn't far from OCIR, from Orange County National Raceway. And I remember uh, going out there with him, and, and I could hear the funny cars running, you know, on Saturdays when I was staying with my dad. And we could yeah. hear him. He's like, we're going, man. We're going to go out and watch him. And, and going out on Saturday nights to OCIR with my dad and my sister and, and watching the funny cars race. And what was it that got you into it? I mean, it's a family thing, right? But what yep. specifically that 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 kind of um, my dad my dad yeah. was a huge you know after him and my mom divorced my dad was kind of a single guy and he went out and bought himself a corvette you know and he was a, he was a cement contractor bought himself a 62 corvette and i can remember at a young age um being at orange county raceway and i I've, I've always told a little story which is a little bit of a fib that i'd never been on the drag strip until i raced in a funny car not totally true right i, I remember being, being about six or seven years old I and mean, he had a four speed and I would run the gear shifter and I just watch his foot going. I just pull the gears. And one time we got to the semifinals on like a bracket night out there. And uh, semifinals, Larry Sutton, the starter, he told my dad, he's got to get out of the car, man. The guy, 
I had a football helmet on, you know, like a Rams helmet. So uh, it, it was exciting. Dude, that's such a cool story. Yeah. And then your first year, you won rookie. You, you won the rookie of the year, did you not? I did. I did. I just got, I got really lucky. Um, Dude. Uh, just, just getting to, just getting to drive it all. You know, I, I always wanted to be a, a drag racer, but I never knew what capacity was to be a driver or a worker or a tuner or just, you know, a mechanic. Just something in that world. And, and then it kind of, it kind of, so some things, some, some events took place that also there I was 20 years old driving the car. And, um, my first season in 1991, we were doing pretty good here and there, but I was the only full-time, I was the only full-time guy on the team. So basically on, on Thursday nights, I would go to the airport, pick up my dad, a couple guys, We'd run the race Sunday nights. I'd take them home and then I'd get the car to the next race. And uh, we got about five races in or about five races in and we got to Atlanta, Georgia. And we didn't have a, the best running car. We didn't have a bad running car. And things just started lining up. And you, you could tell like we were, we were doing pretty well. And next thing I know, here I'm, I'm in the final round against, uh, against Mark Oswald uh, in Atlanta. And, and true, true, true story, we were going home after that event. Basically, there just wasn't enough money. We're going to go home, work, save up our money and pick back up in the summertime. Wow. ACL Coast Southern Nationals in Atlanta and, and won the damn race. So now I have 20,000 bucks in my hand. And uh, that was enough money to, to, to keep us going and keep us racing. And I, I was so shy and so naive to what was going on. I, I didn't even know that there was like a press room, a press conference room when he won the race. So I remember standing there and I was all done. And I just turned 21 years old. And I'm looking for a beer and there, it's a dry county and there's no beer and I'm tired. And, and Kenny Bernstein grabbed me and says, hey, we have to go to the press room. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to no press room. He's like, oh, no, you're, you're going. So <laughs> I have to go to the press room with Kenny Bernstein. Um, uh, Bob Glidden, and I believe, I forget it was top field, but it was somebody like Joe Mott. It was somebody very big. You know, it was, it was three of the biggest guys, so I was up there with them, and it, it was a great time. Yeah, dude. I mean, like, that, yeah, for me, like, that was, what, 90 or 91 that you won that race. 1991, yeah. And, and that's the year I graduated from high school, and, like, my older brother was a huge fan of, like, you know, NHRA and just kind of NASCAR and just fucking balls nice. out speed racing, right? Sure. Uh, so I do. I remember you racing since like I was in high school, really. Um, I was just barely out of high school. Which I was just going to say, which puts us at about the same age. Um, yeah. What was your first pro race? How fast were you going and what was your speed? And what was oh, the time? The first time, I, the first time I qualified or actually raced? Raced. Okay. Yep. So I raced Ed Days McCullough. First round. 1990 in Pomona at the finals and I ran a 556 and like right around I think 200, 262 miles an hour or something like that and, and I lost my first race but it was a decent race and, and I didn't lose and I didn't smoke the tires I didn't run into them yeah. uh, I remember I came into funny car racing with zero experience I mean I showed for the finals basically it was just a license I never even competed on any level on the drag strip I was a BMX racer you know and I raced my bicycle around until I was 16 I had a car and oh, okay I chased girls so I really didn't have a whole lot of like like racing experience but i could drive the car a little bit and i didn't think i would hit anybody and, and i was able to get a license wow that's pretty cool yeah i have it's pretty big and i mentioned off the top that uh not only is it uh, a top top fuel but it's also a funny car uh, champion not many right. people how many people can say that not many people can say that no no only a couple of us ever ever got a chance to do that and uh let me think uh uh kenny bernstein they're, 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 yeah, but yeah, Bernstein and Selzy are the only other two, you know, and, and it's definitely an honor. Not a whole lot of people have the opportunity to do that, you know, is one thing. But then once you do have the opportunity to get to drive cars that were prepared well enough or give you that chance, I got, I got really lucky in the top fuel car and even in the funny car. To get to drive for, for Alan Johnson and Shake Khaled and Alan Nobby in the state of Qatar, that was, a, that was just talking about falling in something at the right time. 
it was 2008. I had just got done with my check my checker trucks, Craig, uh, sponsorship. They'd been bought by O'Reilly's auto parts and they weren't going to renew the, the, the contract and the whole entire country was going into a, uh, into a depression or, you know, basically there weren't, there wasn't much going on in 2008 at the end of 2008 yeah. and along comes this thing. And I interviewed for the job and got it. And, Next thing I know, I'm driving a top field, top field dragster for a championship. That's crazy. Well, it was, it was I love crazy. it, man. That's a great story. Walk us through some of your uh, uh, game day rituals. What are you doing every every race? Sure. Well, the first thing you do, you know, no, nobody wants to be real superstitious. You know, you don't want to say you wear the same underwear every day. Right. You don't, but one thing you do do is you definitely do not change routines because you don't want to forget anything. So uh, I always put you know, the boots on the same order. I put the gloves on the same order. I get in the same side of the car. You always try to do things because routines are always better than just, just off the cuff. So right. those, are, those are a couple of things I always did. Um, you know, you want to tell yourself that it's just another run or it's just, but it's not, we all know that you do the brunt, you're backing up when, you know, when you're racing against John force, you know, for, for, for a title, or if you're just qualifying against, against somebody, it is different, you know, and, and, and I'm going to tell you that right now. And, I'm the kind of driver and I always was where really, really emotions did play a big part in how I drove. You know, I always, I always thought, I, I, I always, I don't say I tried harder, but I've tried harder maybe at reaction times in racing. And I tried a little bit harder at just driving the car better and qualifying. And, and I, and there's some drivers that can do both great. Sean Langdon drove for us, you know, when I, when I raced with him and he was such a focused driver, he could, he could cut the reaction and drive the car. Well, I'm kind of like, I could do one or the other, you know, but I couldn't do <laughs> every day at all times. I kind of had to pick those moments and, and rise up during those times. So, uh, so, you know, rising to the occasion when it was time to do a good job, I always tried to make sure that, that I understood, you know, what was on the line every single run. What is the fastest time you've run? Uh, in top fuel, I ran a 3.73 at 328. And then in the funny car, I ran a 3.83 at 332. Right Can you explain that, um, what that's like, the pressure to your body and stuff? Like, is there any way to actually? There, there is. There, yeah, yeah. You know, because I've driven both cars. Back when I first started driving in the early 90s, I actually drove both cars in competition during the same time at the same events. I raced the U.S. Nationals one time in both cars and, and won rounds in both cars. One first round, six minutes apart. And uh, the wow. funny car, let's start with the funny car. I drove it first. You sit real way far back in a funny car. And you can't see anything moving on the side of you. Whereas like there's, there, there's no, there's no like a sensation of speed. Cause there's nothing really going by your peripheral vision. You can't see things going by where let's say like in an airplane, when you're taking off on the runway and go along, you see the buildings and the road. Then all of a sudden the airplane rotates and it just goes to blue skies and you don't know, you don't know you're going fast anymore. Mm-hmm. So the fuel car, you can see things going by you and, and the sensation of speed is very great. Uh, you sit low and you can see the front wheels turning. You can see the guardrails going by and it just feels like, it feels like what you would imagine with 130 miles per hour. <laughs> our sensation of speed is not there anything you know you're driving into this little spot out there and you're trying to look over to the engine and it's making noise and it's smoking and there's fire out of the windows and you're just trying to win and and, and you're going down the track and, and not unless something goes wrong or something throws off your sense of what's going on do you understand how fast you're going in a funny car because nothing's just really there as opposed to the top fuel car just feels very fast and right. it definitely when you go to stop both cars are about the same when you go to stop. My favorite part of the run has always been like pulling the parachutes. You pull the parachutes, you let off the throttle, and everything just gets quiet. And you basically just float at over 300 miles per hour with shoots out. And it's, a, it's definitely an accomplishing feeling. Yeah, man. I, I couldn't even imagine what that would feel like. Is there anything that, that's even come remotely close in your life to the, the feeling that you get and the adrenaline that you get from, from drag racing? 
No, you, you know, you, you get a little bit of it out of a roller coaster when it first takes off. Um, a really good roller coaster has like a big electric engine. Yeah. So slip and it gives like a pretty good inertia, like initial, like kind of, kind of slap, but, but it's in control and you're not driving it and you know, you're going to be okay. As opposed to driving a funny car or a top fuel car where you're the one driving it, you're the one that's in control of it. And if you don't do everything right, you're going to have a problem, you know, you're going to run into a problem. So really, I don't really know of anything, you know, an, an airplane or a jet takes off so slow and they land so smooth, they're really nothing like the sensation of, you know, positive five G forces to a negative five. Like, like experience yeah what's your what's your daily driver and and what how's that lead foot <laughs> yeah no i don't go fast i have a toyota tundra i drive around in the streets i have a 67 uh chevy a nova super sport oh nice i i actually got it out yesterday and drove around a little bit uh the weather oh, was yeah. nice you and just uh, got that yesterday no 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 i drove oh. it around oh. I, I actually won it in 1999 in a bet subscribe on itunes at toddcast podcast
The Toddcast Podcast is powered by Milano Coffee, bringing you the finest espresso and coffee concepts in the world online at milanocoffee.ca. A look at this week's keyboard warriors, Todd's Trolls, on the Toddcast Podcast. And it's virtually everywhere you look online. The garbage comments to pretty much everything and anything, it doesn't matter what it is, the trolls are always out pushing your buttons. No one and nothing is safe. Not even the Smashing Pumpkins. Number one albums, one of the most commercially successful bands of the 90s, sold over 30 million albums worldwide. And they release a double album this Friday, November 27th. It's called Sear. Like we need another Smashing Pumpkins double album. 2020 is the worst. Blows my mind they haven't released their own wine. I mean, Billy has his wine with an H just nailed. I honestly couldn't be more uninterested if I tried. So done. I'll be back. Arnold is back in theaters as of today. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan face off against each other in Iron Mask. What more needs to be said? Do you really need to know the storyline at this point? Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger together? Oh man, this is a train wreck just waiting to happen. I'll have the no thanks with a side of not a chance in hell am I watching this, please. It's like Hollywood just doesn't give a shit anymore. Oh, no offense, of course. And the multi-sports Asian Beach Games starts up this Thursday, November 26th in Sanya, China. They run through December 5th. No kidding. Beach athletics is one of the sports. Muscle-bound tough guys with a platform? Sounds fun. This is hilarious. Dragon boat racing is an actual event. Do they supply the weed too? Can't imagine spending any amount of time watching this. Boring. With a capital B. Todd's Trolls on the Toddcast podcast is powered by The Garage, Games and Geekery. Your place to play RPGs, board games, and Warhammer in Maple Ridge. Online at garagegames.ca.
band is called Collision Course. That is Run, and it's the first spin. Sounds great. Looking forward to hearing more stuff out of these guys, and maybe when the time comes, perhaps we can wrangle them to play a live podcast show. Next year is going to kick so much ass. If you recognize the voice of the band Prior, that's because it's a new project from the drummer-singer of Pride Tiger, Matt Wood. Matt's new band is called Good Is Gone, and the song you heard was called Tall in the Saddle. And right before COVID disrupted everything, Matt and I were talking about getting them to play a podcast show at the railway, and no doubt as soon as we're able, we will get that dialed up once again. Speaking of live music, you can find info for live stream shows or the smaller shows with a government-approved stamp, I think it's 50 people or less, with the indie scene at toddhancock.ca. Slowly but surely, it's coming around again. Although these last few weeks have definitely thrown another curveball at our scene. It's brought to you by Mystic Rhythms Rehearsal Studios. 40 plus years experience in the music industry. Find them online through mysticrhythms.ca. Okay, our final guest of this episode 233 is broadcaster Yogi and Pave Your Paradise podcast host, say that five times, say that three times fast, Mandy Ross, this week's entertainment guest, as always brought to you by Tomes. Let them help you get a good night's sleep. The first seven nights are 100% free at Tomes.com. That's T-A-U-M-M-H-O-M-S.com. T-A-U-M-M-H-O-M-S. You've heard Mandy Ross on this podcast before, although that was like four years ago. Time flies. So figured it was time to catch up with her. We've known each other for almost 10 years now. Mandy's one of those people who works really hard on her brand and other businesses' brands as well. She went to Humber for broadcast, print, and digital journalism. You'll find that she's quite active on social media. If you follow her, she has a great story to tell, always super positive and uplifting. The full talk is posted now you can hear it at our iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud pages. Again, a simple search of Toddcast Podcast. Till then, here's 10 minutes with broadcaster Yogi, Pave Your Paradise podcast host, Mandy Ross. The Toddcast Podcast. To get you down this path, what are the shows, like the TV shows, and like what's influencing you as a little kid? Like what are your parents playing around the house for TV? You're, t- you're talking about my childhood now? Like, like literally yeah. taking me back to my yeah, childhood? Yeah, like, like okay, way so this is funny. back, <laughs> back in the day. Story. Yeah, back, like what gets you back down this path? What, what, that's a really great question. And I love chatting about this with you, Todd. So it's funny that you actually bring this up. When I was younger, like the whole TV hosting and kind of journalism, uh, I guess, journey of mine, there's two big things that come up to me whenever I think about this. One of them, I'll relay it back to the TV show question, but one of the things I would naturally do, and this is an interesting thing, my parents actually gave me a plastic play school tape recorder as a child, and I love this thing so much, I would literally run up to strangers and ask them about themselves. Like, just (laughs) naturally. I had no sense of shyness. Like, I would just take this thing and go to people and start, like, literally questioning them. So, lo and behold, I end up asking people questions for a living as an adult. Um, But it's funny you bring up the TV show and kind of that reference or that influence. When I was younger, believe it or not, one of the things that I used to do is when The Price is Right or when The Wheel of Fortune was on. And, like, my grandparents are immigrants. When they first came to Canada, they still to this day watch Wheel of Fortune. And 
when the Wheel of Fortune would come on, for some reason, I felt so compelled to stand up and pretend, along with Vanna White, that I was Vanna White revealing these numbers. Or sorry, the letters on the screen. Yeah. And the, the number thing I was thinking in my head. The Price is Right. I would pretend that like when the woman would stand up on The Price is Right, I would just kind of stand there as like a little model and pretend that I was like, you know, showing off the TV or the, you know, the <laughs> all the things on the stage. Like it, it's kind of funny. And then, yeah, I ended up being a TV host presenter. So, so I would what, say those three, two things. What was the, the first job for you in industry? Actually, I think I, I feel like I man Mandy or manifested this one, but straight out of school, I actually landed a really cool opportunity. There was a man who I had gone through the journalism program with at Humber College, yay to all my fellow Humber graduates. Um, and he had worked with a, a, a publishing company here out of Toronto, and they had a women's, it was kind of like a healthy cosmopolitan magazine, and they wanted to cover TIFF, like the Toronto International Film Fest. Yeah. So they actually hired me on as the reporter to go and cover all the red carpets, interview celebrities, and for someone fresh out of J school, <laughs> as a lot of us refer to it as, um, like for me it was just, you know, wanting at that time in my life to really be an entertainment host and journalist, that was a huge, amazing, incredible opportunity for me. So that was the first one. And so we know kind of like the TV and entertainment side of things. What's the music in the Ross house as a kid growing up? What are your parents playing? Okay. So my dad actually is a musician okay. <laughs> and I was privy to hearing him serenade me growing up all the time. That um, is plays, great. Yeah. He's like total rock star. I swear. I love my father for instilling and my mom also for just, my mom is definitely would not consider herself a singer or musically inclined. She's incredibly talented art wise. She's an artist herself. Yeah. Um, so I definitely have that creative, you know, vibe always happening in my house, but my dad plays a bass guitar. He plays the regular guitar. He's brilliant at both. And he always sings. So, I mean, I was, I was introduced to music just as a way of life. You know, I can't imagine to be honest, like I'm a singer myself, Todd, and music has been, so many things for me in my life from therapy to just an, uh, a release. And I mean, I actually, I got into singing, um, recently again, and I've even thought of, thought of recording some stuff because Do it. I just love singing. Yeah. I love singing so much from deep down in my soul. Like I just feel like singing is one of those things for me. That's like a soul experience and I'm getting a little deep for your listeners probably here, but not at all. Like, you, no, no. We all know like, the power of music. Maddie is insane. Oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, it's like huge. I, I'm such an advocate for especially children having music in their lives because it's just so powerful. So powerful. Yeah, I totally agree. So, so what are the bands? So what, what are, what are some of the bands that you're hearing then right now? Like today? No, like as a kid. Oh, as a kid. So, I mean, my dad kind of played a myriad of stuff. Like it, I mean, he would go for things like classic stuff, like the Beatles. He always like would be playing, but I mean, he, he, he was an interesting one because he'd always be playing the bass guitar to a lot of these things. So like, I mean, I was privy, I say to things like Stevie Wonder and the Beatles and my dad kind of leaned more somewhat towards like folk and 
Um, a lot of Canadian artists actually, like he was very prevalent about playing Canadian music in our household and, and really supporting the Canadian arts. Yeah. So, I mean, people like Sarah McLaughlin, um, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, we listened to like a lot of, <laughs> I loved it, but like things like even Madonna, Janet Jackson, like there were so many different types of music. Sometimes yeah. there would be rock music, country, like there wasn't really a specific band there wasn't a like bob marley my dad loves bob marley like there was always just really cool music playing in our household yeah mandy tell us about your your podcast uh pave your paradise yeah so last year i actually started my own podcast and yeah, that's exciting I, it was so exciting it was like i just felt like for so long i had this message inside of me that i wanted to get out and i didn't really know which medium i wanted to go with because as you know like having been a tv host and i've done radio i've done all these things writing um i didn't know exactly what i wanted to do and it just came on me i was actually literally the the conception of pave your paradise podcast came to me when i was literally it was kind of like, it's a, yeah, I'll share. I like, I'll, I don't mind. You are a good friend, Todd. And I'll be vulnerable with y'all uh, listening or watching, tuning in today. So I was literally sitting at the time in par what, what, what is considered quote unquote paradise, which is uh, in Bali. And it was a gorgeous place. And I was actually going through some, some personal stuff at the time. And it just came to me like, I had been thinking about starting a podcast for a while, something to do with self-development and like, things surrounding like mindset, manifesting, even health and wellness. Cause I'll, obviously, you know, some, those are some of my biggest passions. And, um, it was like all these ideas were going through my head and I was sitting on this boat and I was writing out these ideas in a journal. And I was just kind of like trying to process the stuff that was going on in my personal life. And it came to me, it was like, pave your paradise. That makes sense. That really makes sense. Like, how can I, how can I show up for an audience who's very much wanting this kind of message from me at this point and be able to deliver it around this, this idea, this concept of paving your own paradise while you're still here on earth. Because I truly do believe Todd, I am, I am the positive assumption queen and I will always err on the optimistic side of life. Not yeah. because I'm delusional. You've always been like that too, for as long as I've known you. Yeah, I think I think for me it's been a journey of deciphering the the the, the borderline of it going like because I do think and this is something I've learned since speaking to you last time. One of the things I really want to say to your audience more than anything today is, and we'll get into like YouTube because now things have like transpired in that direction too. But for me, it's like you really can do, be, and have anything you want. I really do truly believe that in my heart of hearts. And that really is what I'm trying to help others do in, in everything that I do, whether it's being a content creator, an influencer, TV host, and media personality, you know, coaching, all of the above. For me, it's all about helping people create whatever their version of paradise is on earth. Because for each of us, that's different, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you think that the, the main thing, the thread that you find working with people and regardless men or women, the, the, the theme is that they need more positivity in their life? Um, I like, I shake my head out of response just because my automatic answer would be no, it's not so much about just having positivity in your life because Let's be honest, there's actually quite a lot of positivity content and that kind of stuff that exists. 
I, and this is why even in my coaching, it's transformed more so and my content, even on YouTube and with the podcast, I'm huge upon positive mental diet, positive mental diet, because the thoughts that we have create our reality. That is my belief. Entertainment guests of the Toddcast podcast are powered by Tomes, where quality sleep matters. Find out more at Tomes.com. That's T-A-U-M-M-H-O-M-S dot com.
And another new song for the podcast, a first spin for Bobby's Kane. Their new song is called Don't Do It Again. You can find that one on their brand new EP called Overgrown. Good live band, by the way. They played a couple podcast shows for us in the past. Looking forward to next week. It's all about superpowers as 12 guests will share their thoughts on the power that they'd want to have. Personally, I'd go teleportation. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could teleport wherever you wanted to go with the weight that you could carry on your person? She's not part of next week's podcast, but check out what UFC Octagon Girl Ariane Celeste said about superpowers. I think maybe, um, I don't know if it's considered time travel, but it's like mm. where you can just snap your finger and just be somewhere else. Yes. You know, that, that would save a lot of time of <laughs> traveling and... Um, it would let me explore the world a little bit faster and easier. Oh, badass. Like when, not because not where, but Mm -hmm. when would you want to travel to? When would I want to travel to? Um, Like if you had the power right now in time, like you're you're talking time travel, like I'm going to go to like the 1700s and I want to go to the, or teleportation, I suppose. But but Uh if you could go in time anywhere, where would you want to go? Like, would you want to be in the saloon, the old, would, old West, the country thing, or, you know what I mean? Like, where would you want to go? No, I would probably want to go to the 70s, because I feel like <laughs> I, I'm very much like them. I mean, come on. Time travel would be pretty amazing to have. It's all about superpowers. Next week, getting into December, almost wrapping things up for the year. We'll do a couple year in review podcasts, as we always do. They're always big episodes. You seem to like the multiple guest format. Of course, we wanted to give a big thanks to this week's guests as well. Megadeth bassist David Ellefson. Dude, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out. And it was during your vacation, no less. That's super nice of you. Big fan for so many years. NHRA, funny car champ, Del Warsham, you are the best, man. Great to hang out. Been watching your races. I mean, I told you about this literally since high school. <laughs> Appreciate the hang. And longtime podcast friend, Mandy Ross, great to see you as always. And good luck with the podcast. It is a grind. And that is going to do it for this episode 233. My name is Todd Hancock. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. You're also on the Dean Blundell Network out of Toronto at deanblundell.com. And we're part of the Boot Crew Media Network out of New Orleans at bootcrewmedia.com. Spell that crew with a K-R-E-W-E, bootcrewmedia.com. Comment and rate the podcast. It does help out. Search it out through Toddcast Podcast. Huge thanks to all of our wonderful sponsors. Straight up, we couldn't do it without their unwavering support. You can find links to all sponsor websites at toddhancock.ca. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast, you can for as little as 10 bucks a day. Contact info at the homepage. Hit me up. Maybe we'll have a coffee, have a beer, and see what's up. Till next week. Don't be an asshole. Nobody wants to be around that. Have fun, play hard, and most of all, believe in yourself. The Toddcast Podcast. Keep in touch with Todd through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and bookmark ToddHancock.ca.